Liz, what was your favorite thing from Dragon Con? Oh, Aaron, that's so passe. All Owens are going to be talking about this week is Dragon Con. Unless you haven't been to Dragon Con, and then no one will know what the heck we're yammering on about. You mean the South's largest comic convention in the nation? Wait, South's <laughs> largest comic You mean the largest convention in the South? Well, I guess if you're going to put it that way, I would just say it as a conglomeration of nerds. What do you think? Is it a pack of nerds? A murder of nerds? A scream of nerds? A pride of nerds? Uh, I would uh, actually, a pride of nerds. Yeah. Uh, that, that actually sounds right, because we are all very prideful. For five days, a pride of nerds descends upon Atlanta, Georgia, always inevitably the same time as some huge football game. And all of us in costumes stare at all the people in red jerseys, and we both think about the other... What are you doing here, you weirdo? Yeah, it's very strange being both a uh, football fan and a um, giant geek and um, seeing the two cultures clash and uh, seeing one look at the other and say, why are you dressed so weird? Why is your face painted like that? Those clothes don't go together like that. Are you trying to imitate someone? You know that that would never happen in real life. We always expand so much energy on our costumes, and I do maintain that if your costume was literally a bag of water bottles and sewing kits, that you would be crowned king of the convention. I don't know if you saw him in our, or not, but there was a guy literally dressed as like a uh, like a the filing three, cabinet. The three-drawer filing cabinet, and inside was glue guns and body paint and yeah, glitter like, glue. Like basically Mr. Helpful or something like that. I, I don't know who he was, but whoever you are, if you somehow listen to our podcast, you are a true hero. He's the hero we deserve. And she is Elizabeth. And he is Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea. And uh, actually, as a nice little segue, on the side of this guy's filing cabinet that he literally was, not a full-size filing cabinet, it was made out of plastic, but on the side of the filing cabinet was a small little black and white creature uh, that had its arms up, almost in a T-Rex pose, with two little two little teeth coming out and a, kind of do a it. big schnock. Do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. AKA known as, or known as Lucy. Do it, do it, do it. Tell what we're doing. Do it, do it. Today we decided to do Disenchanted. Woo! I'll drink to that. <laughs> the most recent adventure from Matt Gr- Graining, Groaning, Graining. I just said his name the other day too. And Aaron, it, if we can't get his name right, we have to leave. <laughs> We have to pack up our mics and move far, far away. Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons and Futurama, made exclusively for Netflix. Disenchantment was made for Netflix exclusive, so we're really sorry if you're one of the three people in the world who doesn't share someone else's Netflix account or steal HBO. You are a saint and better than we are. But we just finished it up after... It's only been on Netflix for a couple of weeks at this point, so I don't think we're too late to the party. I would actually say we're pretty well on the nose. Like We've given people enough time to maybe watch it on their own time. I mean, in fact, we've watched... We watched on our own clip as well, maybe like two episodes a night, and we didn't go two episodes a night every single night. We would have finished sooner if not for Dragon Con, 
I will say, though, that I did see a lot of Lucy's hanging out on people's shoulders, and I did see uh, Tia Beanie walking around at one point. So. I didn't see a Bean. Mm-hmm. I did see a Lucy cosplay. A whole cosplay for a Lucy? A whole cosplay for Lucy. I would have rather, like, dressed up a dog as Lucy or something. Some small parakeet as Lucy. <laughs> or little a little child oh as Lucy. Oh, my gosh. Or that is as as Your alpha. child is your personal demon. There's something there. So a little bit of background. Um, we love Futurama. We hit, we will every so often just hop on Netflix and watch Futurama back to front and enjoy it. A full quarter of our references are from that show. I was trying to come up with a um, relevant reference. Let it reference be organic. It, Let it be it, organic, yeah. baby. Yeah, I was trying to force a square peg around hole. Was it going to work? So the level of intelligent humor, along with the lowbrow humor, let's be perfectly honest, that Futurama has is balanced enough that I can watch it and laugh at the, the dumb jokes and still be able to appreciate the highbrow humor that they have. And of course, our friends and uh, friends of the podcast, uh, Michael and Allie. Uh, hi, Michael. Hi, Allie. Um, hope you're enjoying Kansas City. They just, I think they helped enhance our um, appreciation of it because they would tell us little things here and there. And of course, you know, we all would always quote it at each other. Michael is just the like king of Futurama quotes. Like, if we ever did, like, a Futurama quiz, he would absolutely be the king of it. Talk to us about the cast, because it's not just Matt Groening that's come back to TV. You're going to recognize a lot of voice actors from this. Yes, not every voice actor from Futurama came back to this one. Which I'm glad, because there's some voices that are too distinct to return. Yeah. John DiMaggio, who played Bender, uh, comes back as a decent-sized role. I would say probably the main secondary. King Zog, um, the main character's father in the king of the land that they're in. Tress McNeil, who plays the step queen. Uh, She was the voice of mom, uh, amongst others. David Herman, who just was probably one of their best bit players that they had around. Maurice LaMarche, he is best known as Brain from Pinky and the Brain. He is just a fantastic vocal actor. And then, of course, you have Billy West, who came back, who is a much smaller role, but he is also is still kind of a man of a thousand voices again, as he was in Futurama, because you would always be like, man, that voice sounds a little familiar. And then you see Billy West is Fry, Professor Farnsworth, uh, Hermes, or not Hermes, um, Zoidberg, and then a thousand other characters, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's why. The story of Disenchantment is of a falling apart kingdom called Dreamland, who is ruled by this king who is appears to be very short-tempered, very not pleased with his daughter, Princess Tiabini, called Bean. And Bean doesn't seem to be so happy in her princess role either. They definitely don't do the Disney thing though where she wants more than this provincial life more so she rebels by becoming a drunkard and just generally being inept at things that she tries and we come across her own personal demon uh, Lucy who we learn more about as the series progresses uh, still really don't know much at all. But we do know that she is uh, that he has been sent there for a reason. And Elfo, 
who is an elf from a community of elves who does not uh, know how to be happy like the rest of them, and so he leaves. Hermie wants to be a dentist. Uh, yeah, a little bit of that. And all three of them meet up the days before Princess Bean's wedding uh, to a guy that she, of course, doesn't want to marry. I will say, though, they kind of drop that real quick after the first episode or two. We forget the whole you have to get married you know you know unite, unite the kingdoms bit and it becomes a lot more about just exploring the characters yeah he actually the it's like the first like i don't know, say three episodes or maybe like first two or three are this arc of her escaping from being trying to be married or it's it's like um like a three episode arc now there is an overarching story throughout this entire season but it is the, this. There is a over arc in this. Uh, the first three three episodes of her trying to get married and her trying to escape from being married. I I think that, and I'll I'll save my more spoilery stuff for the end. Yeah, we'll give you. I think we'll try to save that for after half. Uh, the halfway point. After halftime. After halftime of the um the episode. But let's talk about the characters because that's. That's what this really felt like to me all the way through. It's a lot of character studies. And they're really trying to make sure that we identify with and like these characters by throwing them into absurd situations, but also letting them just talk things out for a bit. And they are not, it is not episodic like it was in Futurama. It's not, let's take these characters, throw this in this situation, have a couple humorous um, points. Wrap it up by the end, start over next week. Yeah, exactly. It's more of an arc. You can't jump around in this one. Yeah, and there's some things that happen. And again, we will get more spoilerific uh, later on. Spoiltastic. Spoilerific. Yeah, didn't work. <laughs> Man, that did not work at all. You are not off the cuff today at all. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I, guys, I'm, I'm con hungover. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to fi- figure out how to pronounce, uh, this actor's name, and I'm, I, <laughs> I am on, uh, like Wikipedia, because sometimes they usually say like how to pronounce it. So we he know is who so he is. prolific. I love this man. He, he's so whenever, especially when you see him in anything when he's himself like if he is doing an interview like i watched a thing talking about futurama and they it was him and all of the actors except john dimaggio and kate the woman who played leela um i forget her last name off the top of my head they uh they just talked about like the fan reaction and how they like like how they all just enjoy the experience and how they just how like each every single one of them would absolutely jump right back into it like even because it was after the true end um whenever they got brought back by um comedy Comedy central Central. lamarch uh it's lamarice lamarch so that's well good because i thought you were still trying to pronounce matt groaning's name for all no no maurice lamarch all right anyway that's why i was the characters uh, yes. So these, these characters are a little bit more fleshed out. They have a little bit more thought put into them. With Futurama, they did have some thought with the characters, but not as much. They kind of flew more by the seat of their pants. Hell, Hermes was in Jamaican until like the 10th episode. I don't think so. He always had dreadlocks. He always had dreadlocks, but it doesn't mean he was always Jamaican. In fact, that little documentary I was just talking about... They even said it in that. 
because uh, Phil Lamar was talking, uh, was saying something that uh, Fry and Leela originally had two other voice actors because uh, Billy West, but they had cast him as Farnsworth. Fry had been cast as someone else and Leela had been cast as someone else. And, well, they just didn't really like the feel of it. So they, they asked Billy to read for it, and Billy was cast as Fry. And then they asked uh, Kate uh, Seagal of uh, Married with Children fame to come in and read for it, or, like, she auditioned for it. And, of course, you know, the rest is history on that, too. And so with that in mind, they're like, well, everyone else has gotten a laugh except for Hermes. Well, we don't, and we don't really have a good direction for Hermes. They're like, "Hey, Phil, because Phil Lamar is also a very good, uh, very great voice actor. Hey, Phil, could you do a Jamaican accent? Tally me banana. It's you know, it's it, he just he he rolled with it. So it, he he was not Jamaican until like very like I think he said like ten episodes in. So these characters they had more of a thought process going into it, and you can tell this whole story." They thought about the story going into it. Futurama, they had some ideas, they had some plans, but they had to roll roll with the punches a lot more. This one, they're able to, let's say, take their time and flesh things out. That kind of works at a disadvantage a little bit, but not entirely. There are a lot of wonderful blink-and-you-miss-em jokes, not in the dialogue, but in the background signs in the town. Just some really cool things they get to this barren decimated city and it's called the wastes of cremora underneath formerly known as the city of cremora (laughs) it's i i saw a picture gallery of all the different signs from uh simpsons absolutely same thought process it's a great way to flesh out your world and provide humorous reasons to take a look-see and see what's going on and it also, I really do enjoy the voice actors that they got. And I know that uh, Bean is not one of the, is not a voice that I've heard before. I've not heard her uh, in The Simpsons or in Futurama. No, uh, Abby Jacobson, who is, again, uh, her fame comes from uh, Broad City. I'm not sure what else she has done. She has just, it's Oh, not- she was on a Lego Ninjago movie. More so than her pedigree, I really enjoy what she brings to the character. It has a real quiet sort of snark. Still confident, but goofy without being too goofy. There's plenty of times that she'll talk about her character trait of that she is very much a lush. Very much enjoying the the drink, if you will. But... I never feel like it's a one-note joke. There was times that I felt like it was that way with the the king, and then the, they they were able to kind of deepen the king's character a little bit. I'll touch on that a little bit more, uh, maybe even when we get into the more spoiler territory. Uh, but I I have to agree with you on that. Um, she kind of I hate to keep making these parallels between Futurama and this show, but that's I just the easiest way to do it. It's not a bad thing. I think it's just inescapable when you have a creator who has a definite style, both in how jokes are laid out, how the characters are designed, the world that they inhabit. It's impossible not to make those comparisons. I think. Yeah, and that's and that's what we I remember you and I both said I think after like the third or fourth episode we're like this is reminiscent of Futurama, but it's its own thing. And you know, while we would love to have Futurama come back or another Futurama, we that's what we didn't want that for this. You know, we wanted it to be its own thing. And I 
really feel like it did do that. So, so Ab- Abby Jacobson of Broadfoot City fame is the main character, Bean, and she does a great job. The second character, Elfo, <laughs> is played by the SNL uh, alum, or, well, not alum, sorry, the SNL cast member, Nat Faxon. He's done other works. You you would recognize his face. In fact, I can show you his face. Yeah. See, this is, this is good for the audio podcast. No, I don't notice him. I've Actually, never seen him before at all in my life. I don't think he's on SNL. Never mind. No. <laughs> I know him. I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm gonna take a step back. I know him from Club Dread and the Broken Lizard stuff. Okay. Yeah. He, he's very... He so another very, comedy group. Uh, yeah. He was on Club Dread um, and uh, Beer Fest and stuff like that. He's a very silly actor. And, he, and that comes through on his character, Elfo, who is very disenchanted um, with his life. Oh. Disenchantment is actually the name of the show. He had it wrong. Because Disenchanted is the quote-unquote sequel that is still in the works of Enchantment, Enchanted. Oh, boy. Yeah. Can you tell what that movie's going to be about? Boo again. I don't know. I can, I can see that working. Elfo easily could, again, could have been a one-note character. Like, Fry sometimes could get a little, I don't want to say redundant, but... Too stupid. Yeah, exactly. He he got too idiot savant sometimes. And Elfo doesn't get that bad. He toes the line a couple times, but he doesn't get that bad. I appreciate that he is too cynical to be happy in Elfwood, but he's also too chipper to be long in the real world like as soon as he leaves because he's like when he's in elfwood he's just like god i'm so sick and tired of this same damn song and then like plows the village leader's like daughter and and like make cynical jokes and everything like that but as soon as he leaves he's like la 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 la. hi i'm elfo hi i'm elfo and it's just like ah that's weird but he's still cynical in the real world and he was still chipper in Elfwood, but it's it's kind of a fun transition. It's almost similar to like the Corpse Bride when it's they're more alive when they're dead, and they're more dead when they're alive, kind of thing. Um, and then the last character of the main three characters, the one that we we talked about already, is the demonic character of Lucy, voiced by the uh, if you watch Adult Swim at all, you know his name a lot, Eric Andre. He um he does a lot. He's like the Eric Andre show. He, I think he was part of a another like kind of. Oh, is that the one with the weird commercials that I don't ever understand? He I mean, that's I mean that's half of Adult Swim shows. Well, I'm glad he's been given good writing then because I never understood that. And see, that's the thing is he actually was on oh what was it called Two Broke Girls for a while, and he was actually a pretty good character. Well, as good of a character as he can be on Two Broke Girls. Uh, but his character was one of the better characters on that show because he was like this rich, rich boy, but he didn't let his riches define him. And when he when it was found out that he was a rich boy, he like he steered in the curve. And he walked in on like this like smoking jacket with like the big puffy scarf and everything. Like, oh, yes, yes, yes. My my dividends have quite paid out nicely. <laughs> you know, he's like and, and it worked for his character. So. He can do that stuff. He just chooses to do this other Well, as a demon comedy. from hell, he does a very good job. Oh, God, yeah. And again, this is kind of the new Bender. It's not Bender, but it's kind of the new Bender. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a fun character to play. The amoral wise-ass who actually possesses a heart of gold. 
it's interesting to see the means by which Matt Groening creates them because we had a, a robot who in this world could have morality like anyone else, but puts on a macho exterior, and the more you get to know him, the more human he becomes. And then we have this character who literally is a demon from hell, and by the end of it, you you want to, and you have to like him. And even though he's objectively done only terrible things the entire time, things that directly led to problems with our cast, and apparently is sent to do that as part of a much greater evil plot and this isn't like we're that's not getting episode. yeah we're not getting into spoilers or that that deep of spoilers right now because that's like that was first episode stuff and i, I will say that we have no idea who they are so far we could speculate but the two people who are watching lucy's progression are or perhaps the characters that always got the biggest laughs out of me for a while because they had that future on a wit about them they'd be wringing their hands together over the fire and and talking and oh yes soon our plan will come to fruition and then someone would come in like damn it daryl we asked for the grapes sooner just really funny (laughs) funny little like asides yeah those kind of those punch lines that you don't often get from those main characters that you only get from the side characters so and i like lucy because they tend to kind of explore the character's reactions to his character and everyone just thinks he's a talking cat (laughs) at one point they're like they think she's possessed by a demon and she is possessed by a demon just not in the typical sense of like you know head spinning around and everything like that and then he has to actually possess her because they hire someone to rid her of the demon and he's like oh crap i'm gonna get i'm gonna get i have to get out of here (laughs) so he does the only thing he can do and possess her so it's and he ends up saving her from the person who was hired to save her yeah and it's it's um, i will burn your mortal body (laughs) then the demon will be mine wait what it's the, it has that kind of humor throughout this whole thing. There's a lot of heart in it, but there's so much cynicism in it too. And it, it never takes itself too seriously, but not, but not seriously enough. It it toes the line either way. Um, there were times when it went too serious, and there were times when it went too silly, but it was able to reel itself in. And I, I was able to enjoy whenever it pulled itself back in. Well, let's go ahead and do the plug party and promo. What? what? Uh, and then we'll get into some more spoilerific stuff. But if you have enjoyed Mac Groening's work in the past, if you like the subversion of fairy tale tropes, and if you are looking for a good series to binge over the weekend, uh, Disenchantment is the one for you. It's only 10, 10 episodes long at the moment. It's only part one, which I guess is kind of, quote, unquote, a season. It's five hours of your life, and you'll enjoy it, and you'll definitely want more for when it comes back. But let's go ahead and do the plug party. As always, you can find us on Facebook at Married to the Idea, Twitter at Married Number Two the Idea, email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes. 
for downloading pleasure. If you have a long ride to a convention, we are a good thing to have in the car. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we didn't have a long drive. We, we didn't have a super long drive, but listening to podcasts and uh, stories and stuff like that, coming back helped me stay awake after, you know, three days, 40,000 steps and, you know, a lot of sweating. Yeah, sometimes when you don't have anything to talk about yourselves, but you still want to be, you know, stimulated, it's really cool to be able to listen to a podcast or an audiobook or something that you can really sink your teeth into without taking your eyes off the road. Aaron, if only... If only we had a service that provided that. Huh. It's almost like we have a service that we can talk about now. Well, Aaron, we can't talk about them unless they sponsor us, and I don't know how that could be. Why, Elizabeth, we have a sponsor now. Shut the front door. We are. We are actually now sponsored by Audible.com. Ding that bell. Ding, ding, ding. For you, the listeners of Married to the Idea, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And this week, because we are are talking about disenchantment, we would like to recommend the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, a series that is actually near and dear to both Elizabeth and I, talking about calling on dragons, searching for dragons, talking to dragons, and dealing with dragons. And this Dealings is- with Dragons is the first book of the series by Patricia C. Reed, and it is a really fantastic series, especially when we're talking about disenchantment. It's one of my first interactions with the disillusion and dismemberment of the fairy tale trope we have our princess who does very unprincess like things but those skills are the things that do come and help her herself and her kingdom when it when she is called upon to do so it has uh some amazing characters there's they do pretty much every trope you can think of dragons witches uh, giants talking animals the series has got it all and we would highly recommend that you listen to it through audible.com it's a really good read and if you enjoy it there's three more books in this series that you can listen to too yes uh so that is the enchanted forest chronicles by patricia c reed and that's w-r-e-d-e and to download those uh, books or any of the other ones available at audible.com, please go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash married to the idea for your free Audible audiobook. Uh, and Audible is super cool. You get to pick out any book you want during this free 30-day trial, and you get to keep it. Even if you decide not to hang around with Audible, that book is yours, and you can listen to it whenever. So that's a really cool thing. It's like a library, except not, because it's not physical, and you get to keep it. So really something like a library. I don't know why I'm talking. Audibletrial.com forward slash married to the idea to start your 30-day free trial and pick out your free book. 
Yes. So thank you to Audible for sponsoring us. So, oh, before we jump into that, as you hop onto your phones or your laptops or computers to get that uh, trial, be sure to also go to marriedtotheidea.weebly.com slash just for you with the number four. No, you or always just, think it's I number four. I always think it's the number four. And it four. never is. Just F-O-R, just for you to get your free sticker we uh gave out some stickers and buttons um this weekend to other people so uh we hope that those folks who we gave those out have decided to join the uh married to the idea fan base and maybe now you can uh the meaty base i've been playing around with our acronym it's m-t-t-i so meaty (laughs) let's keep playing around with that okay i'll work on that yeah so, yeah, be sure to uh, request your free sticker. Now let's jump back into some spoilers. Do you think that there are pros and cons to this being a Netflix exclusive series? Because this always comes to mind when I think about why a series decided to go through a platform as opposed to on TV. Because there are certain things you can do on a network or can't do on a network that you can do when it's Netflix. <laughs> Aaron, are you dead? I'm not dead yet. (laughs) Okay. (coughs) So Disenchantment is strictly a Netflix series. And when we watch it, we see that they get away with some things or do some things that wouldn't show up in a show that you saw on Fox or ABC or NBC. At the same time, I feel like creators have a greater level of control when they get to do a Netflix show. Because it doesn't have to go through trial and error. There's no chance of it getting canceled. They buy the whole series. The whole thing gets aired. Unless it's so offensive for some unknown reason that they would just pull it. I've never seen that happen. I've never heard about it happening. So do we feel like because he didn't have to jump through as many hoops that the series is better or suffers for it? Well, first off, um, whenever a Netflix buys a show or Netflix does a show, even like this... They don't buy the whole show. It's more so... It's still closer aligned to normal network television where they will maybe closer buy... A season, well, or yes, they'll buy. When, no, I get that, but when you have it on a... Every week a new episode gets released, they can cancel it mid-run. There's a billion shows that yeah. have fallen into the graveyard of forgotten shows because three episodes in, they weren't getting the numbers, and so they just trashed them. And Netflix does not share the numbers of its viewers. They do not share the information with people, so we are still always wondering, okay, is it actually doing really good because they are not sharing those numbers? So when a season gets released, it's the whole season. You get the whole thing right off the bat, so there's no chance Some, of getting canceled. Well, yeah, but they still you still do run the risk because they still do have analytics of if people are watching the show or not. Oh, sure. Because that show, since 8, was kind of popular, but they still canceled it. Mm-hmm. So shows can still get on the chopping block and they do have things where they do have episodes or excuse me, shows that they release episodes one at a time. That's more of Hulu's game though, let's be honest. Well, that's because Hulu has different ways of approaching it. But Netflix does, I think there's one or two fairly popular shows, and I'm forgetting which, that will release it one at a time. I know the Joe, uh, the Joel 
crap, not Hodgman. Joe McHale show uh, released all of the, his. No, no, the Joe. No, that's exactly what I was thinking of. The Joel McHale show came out an episode at a time for a long time, and then he because released six a, because it's a kind of a weekly show. Yeah, like that's the point of the show can only work if you film it every week about something else that's happening. But that's, sort of. But that's a different format, again, entirely from most Netflix shows that Netflix is creating whole cloth. Again, though, does that answer the question, do you feel like it suffers for being that format? <sighs> a couple smaller points, yes. But overall, I think it's stronger for it. It that- felt like not as tight. It felt like there were definitely edits that needed to happen. Like, there needed to be more rounds of edits. Someone needed to take a look and say, this shot goes too long. This silence is weird. There's three seconds of a shot where nothing happens. And then it cuts again away. There are these little, little things that could have been trimmed out. And I don't know why. And I have to think it's because of the format. It might be because of the format. And it might be because, you know, sometimes when you have a creator who's used to doing for shows or is still creating for a show or is still the head honcho for a show that's on air as it like with Matt Groening um or great sorry Groening like with the Simpsons or has created multiple shows like Matt Groening again with Futurama and the Simpsons and you know thinking having to do for commercial breaks and having to be for air on television where you can't get away with more you know, like debauchery and, you know, beheadings and stuff like that. You've got these situations where, yeah, you have more wiggle room, you have more freedom, but sometimes when you're like, oh, well, I can do more, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't always mean you should do more. Yeah, he's done this before, so this isn't like a person who's untested going for a Netflix show first, opposed to being on the air. He's done the 30-minute show before. He knows how to do this particular format, and most of the shows are right under 30 minutes. But even then, sometimes it feels a little flabby, like there's excess of scenes that don't compel or entertain, and I'm trying to figure out what those scenes are there for. I think it kind of suffers a little bit from the Netflix uh, affliction, if you will. And I've I've not watched like the the one that we brought up a little bit before, The Sense Eight. Never watched it, but I've heard that it starts slow. And then we've watched Stranger Things, where you and I are both fans. We've watched this. They all seem to kind of suffer from a weird thing where it starts slow. It's not necessarily a slow show because in the first three episodes, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happens, but then it, it does tend to hit a rut and it kind of has to almost do this roller coaster where it like goes, whoosh, tick, 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 tick. But once you get over that first hill, it starts going and you enjoy the ride. And I think what happens is that might be something to do with it being on streaming. Whether that's because it's Netflix or because it's streaming and they're thinking, okay, well, they're going to binge, so we have to stretch the story out instead of saying, okay, well, how can we make it more interesting so that way they don't stream it all at one time or they don't binge it all at one time. Or we make it compelling that it's okay throughout the whole thing, you know, like spread it out evenly instead of having it all more near the end or having it a little bit at the beginning and more so at the end. That That's a, that is an equation that they has not been truly figured out yet. Because if you remember back with Stranger Things, you had a great opening and then it was slow. It was atmospheric and that's why it worked, but it was slow. This one here, it had little, had the little hills. It kept you interested in it. 
And, of course, it was funny. So that's why you kept wanting to take the ride. But with other shows, it may not work as well. So maybe that's why. Okay. Well, then here's another question then. Maybe not so meta. More about the actual <laughs> show we're, think we're talking about here. Are we supposed to like any of our main characters? Uh, now, see, that's... That is a loaded question. It's so and I loaded. I hate you for asking I it. I don't like asking it. The farther we get, the more I think, I don't think we're supposed to like them in a, there's a perfect character here that we can get behind. They're compelling. And as always, I think a compelling character is better than a likable character. Yeah, that's true. And as long as they're compelling, they're propelling the narrative forward. There was a thought that it was going to be Elfo. There was a thought in my mind as we walked through the first couple episodes, oh, he's going to be our moral center. He's a cynic, but he always looks on the bright side of things. But then the whole weird relationship that he's trying to have with Bean kept throwing me in really bad uh, sitcom territory. Like, if you if you like her, ask her. And don't just moon about her in the corner. It's a little too Niles Crane from Frasier, sort yeah. of. I'm just going to admire Will they, her. Won't they? And I don't get that, honestly. It's weird to me because it seems to be entirely one-sided. And definitely by the end, I, I do believe they're friends. And I do believe that they have a friendship mutually. But I don't ever get that romance subplot that they're trying to pull. And so I don't know if his quest for her is meant to be viewed as pitiful or if we are supposed to root for it i i yeah that didn't make sense to me either like okay if you have a crush you have a crush okay you know if you do things because of your crush you have you do things because of your crush that's one thing but it it did feel pushed a couple times like there's a whole episode dedicated to elfo basically coming up with a lie because he felt embarrassed that he was about to kiss Bean. But instead of just owning up to it and then making fun of him for it or doing something else, they they had to do the classic sitcom, uh, no, I, I have a girlfriend and she's from way up north and, and she has long red hair and she has one eye and you know, oh they just so happen to find this character that's that's classic 80s sitcom thing they don't even like poke fun at the fact that that is a classic 80s sitcom like trope yeah they could have said that way i mean lucy does get close to it like oh let me guess she's from canada yeah exactly and i do like when they do finally find his quote-unquote girlfriend and the turn that her character takes i enjoyed that i enjoyed uh tess i enjoyed what she brought to the table they made her more than a one-off i suppose more of a yeah they did bring more depth to that character than they could have and again or they, they could have just left it at and it definitely felt like they were trying to get a message across with her that oh you just you think i'm weird because i'm different uh, but, you know, the whole thing is the whole kingdom's full of weird things. There's a prince who's a pig, and he just hangs out in the background for a lot of this. And there's there's a lot of, like, ideas that they'll have that they'll kind of throw out there and see if it sticks, and it doesn't. And it's it, that's okay sometimes, and sometimes it isn't. There's um, a mysterious sex cult under the dun- under the castle yeah. that never gets brought back up again. Nope, they, they only talk about it one time. They, there's a, uh, a Viking society that comes around, and... 
they're actually pretty cool until they find out that they have elf's blood and then it's just like oh no we must destroy this kingdom and we must take over it to get the elf's blood and it's like so let's talk about why i think for me this is a completely different show than simpsons or futurama and you've hit upon it before it's that it is not you can watch any one of these at any time and get the gist of who these characters are and what's propelling them and have some fun with them. These are demanding to be watched in succession. They're demanding that you listen to the story. And that's what makes me feel like Disenchantment, more than anything, is a D&D campaign. <laughs> it's classic Dungeons and Dragons. And the reason why it took me so long, it took me until the 10th episode to come to that realization because I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, so it's not just a joke farm. It's not just all about the jokes. There's also a story here and there's characters here and there's supposed to be sad moments too. And then it gets real sad. And then there's some sabotage and time travel debauchery and a cliffhanger ending. And I said to myself, I'm watching Harmon Quest. We've set up characters. They've been moving themselves some for, you know, seemingly without intent from scene to scene. All the while, this plot's been building in the background where suddenly everything turns on his head, half the kingdom is destroyed, and the entire world is turned upside down for our main character, and half of them are dead, and, <laughs> and it's like, and scene. And I'm like, you, this is a D&D campaign. Everyone just got screwed so royally that they have to come back for another session because how in the world are they going to get out of this one? Hey, where am I? You're outside in the pub getting drunk. Okay, if there's any girls here, I want to do that. I'm like, you are exactly right. It's, it's like, why did this episode end where it ended? Oh, because everyone had to leave for the night. That's exactly why. Quick, wrap it up. We all made it to the fest. All right, very good. We're going to start over again tomorrow. By the way, you guys did not at all get close to what I had intended for you to figure out, which was the main plot. But no, go on drinking and doing impressions of each other. That's fine. We'll get back to it eventually. Oh, my God. Guys, we're the ceiling's about to collapse on us. Uh, uh, Bean. Like, why are you trying to? Uh, no, no. Uh, like, did you just try to kiss? No, no. My character didn't do that. No, Elfo didn't try to do. No, in fact, Elfo has a character. You know what? Like, that's uh, excuse me, Judge Master. I need to make a new character sheet for his girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I need you to know that she was there this whole time, and like. And that's not a bad thing. Like, that's the coolest thing. That's the coolest conceit I've ever come across in a show. Because they're not, like, hinting at they're all being played by other characters. That's not what this is. They are just suggesting, what if the stupid D&D campaigns you do with your friends where you just get drunk and try to progress through plot and you do it terribly, what if we animated that and turned it into a cohesive show? It's not a bad thing. I really If enjoy this was it. actually their intent, this might be the greatest setup for a show I've ever seen. It's a terrific reading. It's a cool conceit. It makes all of the problems kind of disappear. Of course there'd be a sex cult under the uh, under the castle that's running everything in town. Like that's a like that like that's their one friend who can only join every so often and he's like, "You know what?" Roll this. I'm gonna roll initiative on something, and I'm gonna tell you about it in just a second. 
okay, I rolled an 18. Okay, I'm going to tell you about it in just a second. And then like, oh, by the way, underneath the castle, I'm ha totally having a sex cult. Why? Because my, the guy who's the sorcerer character and the guy with the three eyes, my character, the guy with the three eyes, yeah, they're like lovers and friends and stuff like that. And like all these other characters that are kind of side characters. Yeah, we're all having a sex cult. Yeah. We're, it's not nothing weird. They're it's just not like, having sex together. Yeah, the sex is incidental. We're actually doing really important things. But yeah, that's what's going on here. All these crazy subversions of the tropes are what make me feel like that's the intent of this show. Elfo not being a real elf. His name is Alpha with O on the end, but on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> like they even say that in show. Like, and you the, assume this entire time, well, of course he's an elf. Like at the very end, two characters are talking, and it's like, wow, we finally got the elixir of life. Yeah, it only took us all season. And by season, I mean whatever season this is fall, spring, summer. Whatever. Uh, whatever. All of these crazy campaigns all tying together into a larger plot and of course when you finally get the thing that you've been questing for this whole time turns out by doing that you actually screwed up a lot we even have a choice being even has to make a choice about who to bring back to life and i don't think i will say that because i think yeah that's let's, that's uh, probably the coolest twist that i didn't see coming but unlike some twists that i hate just for twist's sake it definitely makes sense when you really look down at it and i'm curious to see where it's going it is not by any means wrapped up by the end of no. this no this is the end of the the 10th episode and you're like I, i'm sorry what excuse me excuse me dm what happened please sir may i have some more and of course we're not gonna have any more until like 2019 2020 because netflix shows and long waits <laughs> i think the compelling thing about this is that our main character being she she does feel inadequate. And in true D&D fashion, the more right things that she tries to do, the worse she screws herself over until the end where she really has no idea what's going on. She thinks, we all think she's made the right choice, but oh no, whoopsie daisy, bad things on the horizon. And yeah. that's what you do to your main character, not just in D&D. D&D is an easy axiom to use because it pulls on good storytelling if you have a good DM. The bigger idea is that to make your character relatable and to see what she's made of, you put her through hell. And so far, they've been doing a really good job of that. They had a dead mother and an absentee father as she grew up, turning herself into a lush that drinks to escape her life, to escape her father. But she desperately wants connection and contact and affection and doesn't know how to get it. No one knows how to be near her because she's a princess and her father is crazy. She has a stepmother and she tries to be diplomatic and it fails again and again. And things that she's really good at are fighting and drinking. I drink and I know things and I fight things. And <laughs> I can definitely see the arc for this because she's still arcing. We still don't know where she's going to end up. She's still been failing miserably. So at this point, she can only go up. We can only learn more about her and her character. And I will say, normally, the whole dead mom cliche tends to make certain characters unpalatable for me just because I feel like it's an easy well to dive into. But they do a good job of weaving it into her backstory and the king's backstory. And like I kind of brought it up earlier, the king I thought was just going to be this one note character. Like they, you know, like, oh, he's an angry guy, kind of the why I, you know, that kind of that kind of character. And 
there after a while, he was just, oh, bring him on for a fat joke or bring him on for an angry joke. But then they would bring him on and they'd give him a, an emotional scene. The last couple episodes, it's like every time they would come on, it would be an emotional scene. Yeah. And it's like, oh, crap, they actually have plans for this character. Like, that's where the show hit the stride was those last two episodes. And there's definitely, I can feel that there's a reason why. And I'm very interested to see what season two has in store because it's not going to be Futurama. And it's not going to be Simpsons. It's its own thing now, pretty much. And I think when the jokes are there, they're there. They land, without a doubt. But there's so so many times there isn't a joke. And it's so strange when it does pop up again after so long. So maybe they could work a bit more on weaving those two together. Because Futurama had heart. Do not, like, do not yeah. misunderstand me. It cracked jokes all the time. You cried. I cried at Futurama all the time. There are episodes we can't watch because of what they contain. So let me ask you this question. So there is a uh, a funeral scene. Why did that funeral scene hit less than the uh, funeral scene in Futurama? The very specific one. That one hit. There, there were some very big emotional scenes in Futurama. Those, like, almost every single time hit hard and like i know exactly what to expect i know exactly what's coming i know what i'm going to be feeling and i feel it to the same degree every time i can tell you why because there's actually been a couple times where characters are supposedly dead in futurama and as long as they came back by the end of that episode you knew that it was all gonna be fine especially as the main cast of characters but there are people who are dead in futurama and the reason you can feel that is because you know that Fry is a thousand years into the future and everyone that he has ever known is gone. So whenever you see that scene again, it's like replaying a memory from your past, from if you've ever lost a parent or a grandparent or a pet, you know that because you are here, they are not. You know that if you ever got to see him again, it would be fleeting because you would always have to return to where you are today. And I am going to say very much so because we have three main characters that this death is not in any way permanent. I'm going to I'm going to pull a marvel out of my butt and say there's no way he's going to stay dead because he rolls off a cliff during his own funeral and falls into the ocean. We are, we are he, we are going to see him again. He didn't get lowered in the earth. They didn't put dirt on the coffin. Something's, it's going to yeah, come something, back. Yeah, something something happened and This is the part of the quest where everyone gets split off and you failed and you have to find each other again next season. Yeah, which is a very easy trope to fall back into and I don't really agree with it either, but there's not much that we can do about it. So For me the feels were again mostly in that last episode when we learn the truth of what happened all those years ago mm-hmm. and the reason why we feel it more is because more those su- have repercussions in a more surprising right character development than you were expecting exactly and i am glad that they are still rolling with it as the main character doesn't really know what's going on so we are still going to learn more about this character and their change and it won't just be a one note person even now even with all the bad things that have just happened i still don't feel it's a one note character and i'm that is really it makes me feel very good because it means that they're treating their characters with depth. Yeah, and I'm interested. To see, I'm, I'm I'm definitely interested to see this like side plot and what it has to do with everything else. Whether this this continuing plot of how the last episode ended, and if it has anything to do with and the why, side plot, and why Bean has been given a personal demon 
that's going to be a real big thing because it's not just they wanted her to cause mischief and mayhem. They clearly had a plan in mind that was set in motion and has been achieved in some degree by the end of this season. So I'm going to be very interested to see what that particular overarching plan is. Yeah, I'm I'm still curious on they have a lot of loose threads not so loose that they can't tie them up that they can't bring them together but they're definitely cliff hangering it to the point where they're like everyone's like okay what's gonna happen where are we going from this but to the point where like it's a little annoying like okay you've got this happening you've got this happening something happened to one of the other characters and you're like okay what the hell happened a lot of like what just happened? What just happened? What just happened in that last episode? In that last like ten minutes, you're like, this is almost like Games of Thrones mixed with Stranger Things esque, and you're like, there's so many unanswered questions. You're like, okay, of course I'm gonna return for the second season, but at the same time, you're like, almost annoyed by it. You're like, I understand leaving some unanswered questions, and yes, definitely have those entice people, make them foam at the mouth to come back, but. Good God. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested to see where they go with the second season. Is it as good as Futurama? Not yet. Futurama had obviously a completely different staff of writers. Futurama uh, was better out of the gate than Simpsons ever was. Well, yeah. No, what I'm, by, by that, I mean, before you get angry. <laughs> Whoa, by that, put down the flaming arrows, guys. By that, I mean the first season of Futurama was incredibly strong. And it only got better. Uh, it, let's mm. let's let's be honest. The first season of Futurama was good. It was not it was, as strong as say like the fourth or fifth season of well, Futurama. Of course not. It should only get better. I'm not saying the first season was best and then it declined from there. I am saying it the, started out stronger than The Simpsons did. The, the last episode of the first season, um, Bender when when, the, when Bender gets addicted to um, jacking on, is not as strong as the finale. The quote unquote first true finale for uh futurama when he writes the opera oh yeah no of course not again it should only increase but again first season of futurama was better for in the course of the show than the first season of simpsons was oh yeah simpsons didn't hit its stride until like the second or third season and that's because again the writing staff had a little bit of a change between seasons the the identity of the whole whole show did nowadays people shows still evolve the first season of say brooklyn 99 is not the same the identity is not the same but it's closer than it would be say for like the simpsons or even futurama because the first season of futurama was a lot looser there were jokes that didn't land as well the the pacing was slower wasn't as tight you go back and you watch the first season of futurama and you're like okay i'm laughing but at a slower pace with futurama it was almost or the later seasons it was almost a laugh a laugh a minute or if you go from season five to season seven when they get pulled back into uh, comedy central it's still a completely different identity again different station different probably set of writers different probably even editors at that point season seven is no worse but it's a different kind of good so where this show is going to go we don't know yet i i see potential like uh that show oh yeah i was talking to you about uh, talking to you guys about this show there is a show called single parents that is going to premiere soon and i i was lucky i got to see 
an early premiere episode for the pilot. And I'm not going to go into any details on the show at all. I'm literally going to give just a quick overview. And this isn't even like a true review of it. It is a show that I see potential in. It is a show that looks interesting. It's not modern family interesting. It's not even rookie interesting yet. But it's a show that if they allow the characters to develop the way that they are already progressing in this one episode, they have potential. Um, They have more potential than that two for the money. So you've got to know when to let things grow specifically. If they can let it grow in the right way, if they can cultivate it and let allow the writing to shine through and allow the characters to come through proper, then it will be a good show. This is one of those shows that we can't take the first season for granted because we got a, we got 10 episodes all at once. We have to kind of look at it as it's its own. It's different than a, a normal network or it, it because now with streaming, how they can release all 10 episodes at once. It's going to take time, but it's going to take time in a different aspect because how they can release the entire thing all at once. We're not going to be able to sit, sit back and say, oh, let's give it an episode. Let's give it half a season. Let's give it a season. We now have an entire season, so it might be we might need to give it a few seasons. So, I remember someone was saying, one of our buddies was like, I hate it when a show takes like three seasons to kick off, but people will give six books for, you know, a character to be like, you know, I'm finally tired of this character. I'm not going to read this book anymore. It's almost as though the mediums of books and film are different. (laughs) Almost as if. Almost as if you can understand the character a lot quicker when you have both the visual and more than just what you have in your imagination. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the first season. Did I enjoy it as much as I enjoy Futurama? But that's no, but that's a hard comparison to make because Futurama holds a special place in my heart now. And even with all its faults in Futurama, it had nine seasons to make that whole make that place in my heart. This has only had 10 episodes. I'm going to compare this not to anything Matt Groening has done, but something that's more in the genre of what we're actually working with. I enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed the first season of Harmon Quest. And the second season of Harmon Quest was definitely better than the first season. Mm-hmm. Even though same people, same setup. Story arc continuing. It just got better and better. So that yeah. is how I'm going to say. And if you haven't checked out Harmon Quest and you did like Disenchantment, it's on Verve. I highly recommend it. And if you are done with TV shows and need a book instead, don't have time to read a book, we want to thank again our sponsor, Audible, and uh, recommend once more The Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia C. Reed for some more Disenchantment of Fairy Tales. Yes, um, which we also do want to give a shout out to Verve itself because it is a great service. But I prefer it because you have a lot of different options along with the Bim Bim Bam series. But you, you, there's a lot of anime stuff. So for an anime nerd, they, they have a lot of different choices. So today's podcast was brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash married to the idea. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So, I think that about wraps it up. So, we definitely recommend this series, of course, if you're a fan of any of Granning's work, or if you just need something good on Netflix. Anything else to add there, uh, lovely? No, I'm ready to go die now.
go die. Yeah, because you died midstream from con flu, and now I'm gonna go die from. Oh con God, flu. yeah. It con crud, crud. is a uh, unique kind of hangover sometimes it can affect you in the middle of a convention sometimes it can hit you right after and protect yourself tell your loved ones (laughs) if you don't talk to your child about concrete who will until next time guys she's been elizabeth he's been aaron and and we're we're married married to to the the idea. idea